Thank you for listening to The Wonder Podcast. I'm Joe Vacanti. It's our desire that you would take this message and that you would choose to live the life God always imagined for you. Bella and I went to see uh, the new Hunger Games movie. It's kind of like the origin story of the bad guy, Snow. And I, I love origin stories, especially when it's about bad guys, because everybody doesn't start out bad. And it's interesting, um, in the Hunger Games, each one of the, I guess they're contestants, but not really, each one of the people that are fighting, going to fight in the arena, they've been drafted, so they're not going there by choice. They're being forced, and it's young people, it's uh, kids and young people that have to go and fight in these games. And each one of them is given a mentor. And for some of them, the mentors were people that had already been through the games and succeeded and won because there's only one winner and all of the people who lose actually die. But for a lot of them, their mentors are people that are from the capital, the elite class that are the set apart people. And so for those that don't have mentors that have been in the games, those people, those children and young people that are fighting, their mentors are not really for them. They don't really care about them as people. They see them as lesser people. They're only for them in the sense that they will help them win, get their victory as the mentors. And uh, I was laughing recently. I was looking at my last few messages that I've given, things like nothing less than everything, Things like, uh, you know, get in the arena and, and live and fight, you know, be the hero that you need to be. All kinds of uh, motivating. We're in a war. Um, it was a war to us was the last message I gave. And, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, it's a little tiring to be going into the arena over and over again. And like I talked about last time, we don't really have a choice, right? We're in a battle whether we like it or, or not. The battle is all around us. We don't get to tap out just like the young people that went into the Hunger Games. When they got tired, they didn't get to high. They didn't get to tap out. It was it was for life or death. It was for good. You know, every time I am uh, asked to speak, I like to ask God, what do you want me to talk about? And this week he said, I want you to talk about my love. And I said, no. <laughs> because whenever he asked me to talk to you about something, he asked me to believe it first, right? You don't want people, you don't want to listen to a message or listen to a podcast, listen to anybody that doesn't actually live the things that they're talking about, right? And now you're looking at me like Kate doesn't believe that God loves her. So we're going to get to that. So he brought me to this scripture about the lost sheep. And the first thing that he shows us is that we matter to him outside of the whole. You know, it's easy for us to say God loves the whole world or God loves we are all his sheep. But God loves each of us as individuals. Look at what the first couple of verses say in Luke. It says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. See, each one of us matters. There's not a single person that is dispensable. 
One of the things that really frustrates me about our work in Sierra Leone, and I think a big part of why this comes up is because it's hard for people to live with the reality of suffering. But some days when we lose a child over there or something really bad happens like that, people will say, well, you know, you'll get them next time. There'll be more kids to help. You can't help them all. And like, I get that thinking because we can't be trapped and paralyzed. But at the same time, that one life is not dispensable. That one life is never gotten back on this side of eternity. And that's how God looks at you. That's how he looks at me. You are not dispensable to him. You matter outside of the whole. The Bible says that we are his and that you are precious to him. Psalm 103 says this, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You might be saying, but you don't know me, Kate. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know what was done to me. Well, in these verses, it's the tax collectors and the sinners, like the worst of the worst that were around Jesus. They were the ones he was talking to. And when the holy religious people came and wanted to be around Jesus, he was surrounded by sinners and tax collectors, and they were disgusted by it. But he was there for them. It's easy to accept Jesus died for the world, but can you accept that he died for you? See, that word sinners means those who are devoted to sin. I thought that that was interesting. That word devoted means loyal and loving towards. You know, the truth is that a lot of times we don't just accidentally sin. Like we actually like our sin. We, we like to be bad. We like to do what we want to do. Jesus didn't die just for you as an accidental sinner. He died for you as an intentional sinner. And then it says that he goes after the one until he finds it. This is the idea of a relentless pursuit. And I was thinking, you know, we don't know that the sheep wanted to be found. We don't know if the sheep wanted to return. The Bible tells, that, tells us that while we were yet sinners, continuing to sin, Christ died for us. He died for us even before we wanted to be saved. Ezekiel 34 says this, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And then it says in Luke 15, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So not only does he search for you, but he isn't mad at you when he finds you. And he isn't mad at you if when he finds you, you don't want him. And he isn't mad at you if when he finds him, you want to continue on in your sin. It's unbelievable. And then it says he lays the sheep on his shoulders. He lifts up the sheep 
on his shoulders. I want to ask you, are you spent from running? Are you exhausted from the world? Are you disappointed? Has your faith run out? Do you feel like I can't get up another day and step into the arena and have the faith that God is going to come through for me? Psalm 40 says this, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. You know, Joe has said this to me a lot recently. You're not God's workhorse. You're his daughter. Some of us are very performance-based. Maybe it has to do with your upbringing. Maybe you tried so hard to earn the favor and to be seen by your parents that you thought if you could just get it right or do the right thing that they would be proud of you. And so now you've transferred that to God. And you said, if I can just do the right thing enough times, maybe God won't be disappointed in me. If I mess up or I miss it, maybe he won't be disappointed in me. Look at this next photo. Look how cute you are. He sees you that way even when you've done wrong. He sees you that way even when you've wandered. He sees you that way even when you've relied on your own strength. I remember it was about five years ago. I walked past the mirror in our bedroom and Joe was in, in the other side of the room. And I saw my, I looked at myself and I said, wow, I'm kind of cute. <laughs> and he, and he looked at me and he said, welcome to the party. So glad, so glad you joined me. You know, for so long, we see ourselves through the wrong lens. We see ourselves by the voices of others. We see ourselves by our mistakes. We see ourselves by our sin. We see ourselves by our issues. But he sees us as pretty cute. He sees us as somebody we're searching for. He sees us as somebody that's worth leaving the rest behind in the open country to find and then to pick up and to put on his shoulders. I looked up that word shoulder in the Greek it's the only time that that word appears in the Bible, that specific Greek translation. It literally means the place in which the burdens are placed. To think that Jesus lifts us up no matter where he finds us and he places us on his shoulders, literally the place designed to carry burden. It's a place marked for you. Matthew 11 says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This verse really annoys me. It's always annoyed me. You know, lately a lot of people have looked at us and said, you guys look exhausted. It's like, thank you. You guys need to uh, take a little break and rest. Would love to. Just have faith. God will be there for you. Hmm. You know, there's this weird place where reality and faith intersect. 
And what God says is true has to be true no matter what the reality is that you face. So when you're in a spot, when you're so overwhelmed and you can't just stop, how does this actually work? You still have to move forward. Real things have to get done. It's not that you don't want to rest. It's not that you don't want to trust God. But I believe what those verses are saying and and what the overall scripture we're talking about shows us is, see, we can still move forward and we can still press on because he's the one carrying us and he's the one who's moving forward. So when we let him lift us up, place us on his shoulders, he's the one who walks us forward and we can rest and trust in the confidence that he knows the way and that he's going to do it. It's not acting like you don't have a lot going on. It's not like pretending like it's not hard. It's just surrendering to the good shepherd, the one who searched for you and found you, letting him pick you up, letting him wipe the junk off of you again and again and carry you on the place that is designed to carry burdens where you belong. And then on top of that, he's not mad to do it. And what we don't know is how many times have this, has this sheep wandered off? It says that he rejoices. That word rejoice means to show great joy and delight. The word delight is something that pleases someone greatly. Like it pleases Jesus to leave behind those that are where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing, to go on an arduous journey, to climb down into the mud and the muck of the mess that we created and chose. And it pleases him to swoop down into that, put us in that mud and all of that mess on his shoulders and to carry us back home. He delights in that. He rejoices. That Greek word for rejoice was used as a greeting to say, be well. (laughs) I love that. I love that idea. Jesus as a good shepherd, as he's carrying us on his shoulders. And you have to imagine, and I'm sure you've been there, where he's picked you back up and shame comes in. And you start saying, again, Jesus had to come search for me. Again, he had to pick me up. But the whole time as he's carrying you back home, he's saying, son, daughter, be well. Rejoice, be well. He isn't angry. Zephaniah 3.17 says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. The God of the universe, Jesus, the darling of heaven, sings over you. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God joy in a cross. (laughs) We're going to start singing all the Christmas songs soon and uh, joy to the world. Again, it's easy to think and for the world to celebrate that Jesus came. But this Christmas season, can you have joy? Can you rejoice wherever he finds you, knowing that he came for you? And not only did he come for you thousands of years ago before you were born, he comes for you again and again and again in a relentless pursuit for you. 
and then he celebrates you. Verse 6 says, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He's not talking about when you've done well (laughs) or the things that you've done for him. In fact, he's finding you lost and broken. He celebrates you just for you while you wander and in your brokenness. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Second Peter says this. Second Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then Luke 15, 7 says, just so I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now you're like, wait a minute, I gotcha. This is the same thing I did too. Jesus is talking about sinners. He's talking about going after those who aren't saved. Well, I'm already saved. So this lost sheep thing doesn't apply to me. Matthew 18 says this, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always seek the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them is gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. See, in the Luke version of this story, Jesus used this metaphor twice. In Luke, he was speaking to the Pharisees who were mad that Jesus came for sinners. In Matthew, he was speaking to his disciples who were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in heaven. And Jesus says, don't worry about all of that. What I'm concerned about is that each and every one of my children are safely within my care. John 1, 12 says, for all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if you've given your life to Jesus, if you've believed in him, you are a child of God. And in his, his desire, no matter how far we wander, no matter how tired we've gotten, no matter how many times we want to give up, to know that he would leave the 99 once again for you. So I told you at the beginning that I struggled with the idea of talking about God's love and that he would that he would leave the 99 to even come for me. God wants us to know that we are loved even when we don't feel like it. We are loved even in the midst of disappointment. You guys know the struggle that we've been in for the last couple of years for um, the silo, for the finances related to it, some personal struggles. And you kind of hold on to, you know, one more day and the breakthrough's coming. One more day and it's going to change. And it's like the next day comes and it's like the next crazy thing happens and it's worse. And the next crazy thing happens and it's worse. And you're exhausted and you're wondering and you're saying, God, I can't take it anymore. I know that you're good, but I don't understand what's happening. See, he gave me one other scripture. 
And I thought, as usual, that it was for you guys. <laughs> but it was actually for me. And maybe we'll get to that one day. But it's the verse it says about having a form of godliness, but lacking the power. You know, he's talking about the last days and that God's people will lack the power of the Holy Spirit. But he really convicted me and said that I was lacking the power of his love, not his love for others. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good that God has loved the world. I'm, I'm good to join in and serve him, whether it's in our city or in Sierra Leone. But I have a real problem accepting his love for me. And he told me that I lack power by lacking the belief and the confidence and allowing myself to be loved by the good shepherd who comes through me once again. First John 3 says, See the kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. And so we are children of God. First John 4, 16. So we have come to know and believe the love of God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. See, we can have God and we can have love for others, but we can't truly have closeness and intimacy with him if we don't allow him to love us. In the Hunger Games, the mentors have the opportunity to send in things to help those that are fighting in the arena get through. It might be some sort of special bomb to help um, heal their wound, or it might be water or some sort of uh, comfort item to help give them the strength to get through. The difference for us with Jesus is he actually takes us out of the arena and he steps into it for us in our place. He's the shepherd who laid down his life for us. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The irony of that image. That the good shepherd became the lamb. The lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world but personally, the Lamb of God that would take away your sin. We've entered into the Advent season, and the word Advent means coming. He's coming for us. He came, and he's coming for us again. My heart for you today would be that you would allow the love of God into your life again, the individual, personal love of God that you would allow yourself to be found by the good shepherd who relentlessly searches for you, who isn't mad at you wherever he finds you, but picks you up on, your on his shoulders and carries you home rejoicing and throws a party <laughs> with the family of God and a party with the angels in heaven that your name could be sung with the angels in heaven. Joy to the world. Another one has come home. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. And so as we enter into this beautiful season of Advent, when we celebrate his coming, the God who came and who comes again for us, we're going to sing this song, O Come, Emmanuel. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. We have a God who is with us, a God who is for us. He's for you.
Thanks to all who give to Wonder Church. Your sacrifice makes this podcast possible. Thanks for listening. And live your life in such a way that will make the world wonder. There must be more.